Today we're talking about this trait that, that people like to pretend to be excited about, right? Yes, Jesus is the miracle worker. He can do anything. And, and so we'll say those things because that's what a good Christian should say. It, it, we're excited because that's Jesus. He's powerful. But truthfully, many, many of us kind of inwardly wrestle with this idea of miracles and Jesus doing miracles. And we, we look at stories in the Bible of Jesus healing people and blind people seeing and, and Moses talking to a burning bush. I, I mean, come on. I wish YouTube existed in the Old Testament. I mean, it would be so cool to see some of the stuff that fire falling from heaven and, and uh, dead people raising to life, water being turned into wine. That's one of the ones we're going to look at today, the Red Sea parting. And so the question is, does Jesus, is he still a miracle worker today? And I just want to say to you, let, let me just get it out of the way. Did Jesus, let me ask you a question. I want you all to respond. Did Jesus work miracles in the Bible? Yes. Okay, and so what does the Bible say about him? It says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, let's say it, let's say it together. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So logic would suggest, can Jesus still work miracles today? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I'm experiencing a miracle right now. Sometimes the way that miracles happen isn't the way we think they would. I experienced a miracle Friday night. Because uh, I used to go to the gym with my buddy Adam. Where you at, Adam? Where you at, bro? He's, all right. There he is. All right, I see you. He's in the roped off section. Adam, you're fired. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I used to go to the gym with Adam, but since we had a baby, the time that I would have gone to the gym is the time my wife needs the most help at home. And so it just... It hasn't worked. It's probably not going to work for a long time, but I needed something to do, and I was at lunch with some people, um, and uh, I'm sorry, dude. You'll be all right, and um, you're a people person. You'll find some new friends there, um, <clears throat> and <laughs> everybody, come on. Let's say a big awe for Adam. Oh, okay. Yeah, suck it up. All right, <laughs> so, so <laughs> be a man. That's right. Um, so anyway, I was at lunch with some people, and Kristen Brownlee, are you in here? Yeah, Kristen right here, who, by the way, has done an incredible job of getting some of our different areas of ministry, specifically our kids, organized, and, and they're having fun over there. Thank you, Kristen. Um, she, said, she said, you need to try Couch to 5K. That's what my husband did, and, and he's gotten really healthy and lost a bunch of weight. And so I thought, you know what? Last time I was on the treadmill at the gym, I actually worked up to a little bit of a jog. That's a miracle by itself. So I was like, I think I could do. Is that Whitney? Oh, you're here. All right, good. She, she's auditioning tonight. I was worried she wasn't here. All right, so, um, so I worked up to a little bit. of. I'm totally ADD this morning. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if we'll ever get through the message today. I'm just warning you. Um, worked up to a little bit of jog. I was like, all right, I felt all right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. And so Friday night, absolute miracle. I actually ran a solid 20 minutes without stopping, without walking. And uh, so for me, listen, now you're like, that's a miracle? Yes! Because I was the kid in gym class when they were doing the mile, you know. I'm the only person I know that almost, true or false, mom, almost flunked gym class. True, all right. So, all right, because I did not care. And they're running the mile, and the coach would be like, come on, Smith, you're walking. You're going to be last. I'd be like, I don't care. I'm going to smell better than everyone else. I don't care. 
So miracles, miracles do happen. They do happen today. I'm making light of it, but, but they're real. And here's, I think a lot of times, kind of quietly, secretly, there's two prevailing attitudes towards miracles that, that we tend to take on as Christians. And, and, um, and some of us think Jesus may have done miracles, but he doesn't, he just doesn't seem like he does them much anymore. And that's not true. There, there are miracles happening all the time. In fact, we see them every week here. The Bible teaches us that the greatest miracle of all is when someone gives their heart to Jesus. And we see that happen every week in our church. We'll, we'll probably see it happen again today. And, um, but, but the other kind of prevailing attitude that I think happens in the hearts of a lot of Christ followers, a lot of Christians, is we kind of think, well, I, yeah, Jesus probably does miracles, but he just doesn't do them for me. He, I, he probably does them for other people, but just, I just don't think he cares about me that much. And the reason a lot of us end up there is because probably all of us, I could probably go around the room and ask every single person, have you ever had something that you were praying for and asking God for that didn't turn out the way you were hoping it would? And probably all of us could say, yes, I've experienced something where I was hoping things would turn out one way and I was asking God to do this miracle and it didn't turn out that way, it didn't happen. And so when that happens... It's heavy on our hearts and it can affect our faith. And so we, we can kind of start to think like, well, maybe God, maybe he does miracles. He just, he just doesn't do them for me. And so to teach you about miracles today, I want to I get into a little bit of theology. Is that okay? Can we, can we talk about a little theology this morning? <laughs> You're such a Bible nerd. All right. <laughs> um, so, so I want to teach you something called the law of first mention. Everybody, anybody ever heard of that before? All right, so Joel, the law of first mention is the law of first mention is this: anytime we want to look at a specific topic, a specific uh, belief, or or piece of our theology, or or something in the Bible, what we do is we go to Scripture and we look for the very first time, law of first mention, that it's mentioned or that it happens. And so we have a very clear one with Jesus. We have the the very first time in Scripture that Jesus performs a miracle. That's recorded. Now, I think it's possible he might have done stuff when he was a kid, because um, I think it would have been fun to be Jesus, like just messing with your parents. Like you snap your fingers and the dishes all rearrange themselves in the cupboard. So your mom's like, where's the glasses? They're over there now. <laughs> all right, so, you know, just like I would have just been doing magic tricks all the time. You know, Jesus would have won the talent show with the magic act. Um, I think maybe, I don't know. Jesus, the dog's dead. No, he's not, mom. All right. I think, I think it would be funny. I think it would be awesome. But we're actually going to look at the first recorded miracle that Jesus performs in Scripture. And it happens in John chapter 2. And we're going to bounce back and forth between this John chapter 2 story and Isaiah a lot today. So I just want to kind of prepare you for that. And it says, the next day there was a wedding. Awesome. A wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now why is that important? It's always important when mama's around. All right? It's just always important because she buys you stuff. All right, so <laughs> Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And here's where things go crazy. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. And apparently Mary was a drinker because she's upset. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, I want, this is where I want to see the conversation, because you know it didn't all make it into Scripture. Jesus, the wine is gone. And you know how mama gets. 
when she can't take the edge off. You know that's what happened. You know that was what's happening in the ball. Some of you are just, you think I'm blasphemous right now. I'm, tell, I'm telling you that's what happened. Here's what I want to point out, though. The fact that this story takes place in a wedding is actually significant. Once, I hope one of the things you've heard me say if you've been coming here long enough is it's really a good idea when we're reading stories in Scripture, especially the ones around Jesus and miracles he performs, to ask the question, why? Because nothing is in Scripture on accident. No detail was put in Scripture just to kind of give us a backdrop or to make the story more interesting. Everything happens on purpose. So why did this story happen at a wedding? And here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the pressure that you feel in a wedding. Anybody ever been to, I mean, there's a whole show called Bridezilla because of the pressure and the expectations that come with weddings. Now, my, my wife, actually, it was kind of funny. In our wedding, she was pretty chilled and gracious and laid back. I was a maniac. I was, <laughs> you hush, all right. Back to the hotel. No, I was, I was, <laughs> I was crazy. I mean, I was fighting with everybody. I was feeling tense and I was just freaking out, and, and so it was Groomzilla. My friend Matt's not here. I did his wedding, and his was the same. Matt was Groomzilla. Um, it was, but I just remember the wedding and the pressure of that day. You know what? why I think it's significant that Jesus works his first miracle in a wedding scenario? I think it's because of that, because of the intensity and the pressure of the event. Most of the places in our lives where we need a miracle, where we're feeling the burden, where we're feeling the weight of what we're asking God for, most of the time we arrive there because life has not met the expectations we set ahead of time. What makes a wedding bad? When it doesn't meet the expectations that you set ahead of time. Why is there pressure? Because we have this expectation of an incredible, beautiful day. And anything that might mess with that turns into someone dying. A caterer, a cake artist. You're, you're going to meet the expectations on that day. If any other day that expectations are going to get met, it's that day. And it's in this scenario that Jesus shows up and works the first miracle. And I think it's because most of us have been in a place in our life where we're feeling the weight of something we're asking God for because our expectations haven't been met. What are, what are you talking about? Like, like maybe, maybe you thought it was going to be easier to raise your kids. Maybe your expectations haven't been met. Maybe you're still single and you had a plan by now to not be single and to have kids. And, or maybe your career hasn't taken the path that you thought it would. And, and so you're feeling the weight and the burden of that because the expectations haven't Maybe your marriage didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, and so you're feeling the weight and the burden of those expectations. Maybe, you're, maybe somebody didn't grow as old as you thought they would, or somebody died younger than you thought they should, and so we feel the weight of expectations having not been met. And I just think it's so encouraging that in that scenario is where Jesus shows up and says, okay, it's time to show the first miracle. 
And I just want to, this, this message today is for anybody who's in that place in life where you're kind of feeling the weight of unmet expectations. And you're wondering, is there any chance, is there any scenario where God comes through for me? And I just want to tell you, yes, the answer is yes, he can come through for you. In Jewish culture, the wedding actually, now, now in our culture, the, the wedding ceremony, that's where the pressure is on, Right? We want the wedding ceremony to go great. I've heard some great stories of pranks that happen during wedding. My best men tried to prank me like they pretended they couldn't find the ring whenever it was time to, uh, you know, and, and then they like passed it down the line until one of them found it in his pocket, one of my groomsmen. So that, that helped with my anxiety that day. That was awesome. None of us are friends anymore. Just kidding. Um. You know, we feel the pressure. I heard of a story of one time where the best man and the groomsman to play a prank went up and cut the wick off the unity candle. Before the, so during the ceremony, they get up there to light and they can't. They're just, I mean, can you imagine they're looking at each other like, what do I do? Call it off. So in Jewish culture, all the pressure wasn't on the wedding ceremony. I mean, there's pressure there. But the real pressure in Jewish culture was on the the reception. That was the piece that needed to be flawless. In fact, it wasn't uncommon in Jewish culture for the reception to turn into a seven-day feast. Like a seven, they'd party for a week. Because, I mean, it must have been like, thank God they're married. Party! I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but I mean, it wasn't uncommon at all. And so all of the pressure was on the reception. So what are they in right now? They're in the, they're in the party. They're in the feast. They're in the reception afterwards, and the wine runs out. And in fact, the Jews had a saying, because wine was kind of like the primary drink. They actually had a saying during that time that, that it would say, where there is no wine, there is no joy. Now, don't amen that. So <laughs> like... But that was actually, where there is no wine, there is no joy. So, so the, the, here's, do you get this? This is why the miracle happened in this story. Everything in the Bible is on purpose. This is a picture of lost joy. The joy has left the wedding reception. It has left the party. It's gone. And so I just wonder how many of us in the room have been living with some high expectations and maybe it hasn't happened yet. The miracles haven't happened the way we thought they would. And so the wine is gone, the joy is gone, and you're running on empty. And it's in this scenario that Jesus shows up with his first miracle. And I just want to give you three things. In a second, we're going to talk about some things that you can do to set yourself up, to get yourself in the best possible position to experience miracles in your life. And miracles come in all shapes and sizes. They can be small miracles, financial miracles, job miracles, uh, we just had a baby. That's a miracle in our house. Um, I mean, they just come in all kinds of shape, healing from different diseases, and I've I've experienced that in my life. Um, just they just come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. But there are some things we can do to make sure we're in the best possible position to receive miracles. But before we get to that, I want to show you some things that we tend to do in human nature that maybe don't help us receive miracles in our lives. And the first one is we focus on 
feelings instead of faith. And this is in your notes if you're following along. We focus on feelings instead of faith. I think it's interesting that in this story, when the wine runs out, the scripture does not say that somebody immediately jumped up and went, hey, we've got this guy here, Jesus, who's supposed to be the son of God. Why don't we talk to him? I bet his dad could get us some wine. Nobody jumps up and says, I, ha- I-, I know, God's here. He can fix this. Nobody jumps up with an act of faith except for Mary. The issue is the wine's gone, the joy's gone. And so anytime the joy is missing, anytime the wine has run out in our life, not literally, <laughs> anytime the wine has run out in our lives and the joy is gone, we have a tendency to really focus on the emotion around that, the feelings that go with that. And now I'm not saying that you shouldn't have the feelings or that you should turn those off. Emotion's natural. God gave us emotion. You're going to feel the whole gamut when you go through something. Anger, frustration, sadness, bitterness, depression, all of those things are natural emotions to go through. What I'm saying is don't get lost in that. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on the emotional piece. They were folk, I think they were probably focused on the superficial problem. And that's what we have a tendency to do. We focus on a superficial problem instead of looking for a spiritual solution. And so when we're going through something and we need miracles to happen, situations can, they can take over our lives and they drown out everything else and it feels like everything around us is turning upside down and we don't know where to go or what to turn to next. If I, could feel, if I could just be honest with you, and I'm sorry, Mom, I planned this message before you were coming to town, but I, I recently kind of went through this when we lost my stepdad. And I just remember feeling like, man, this is not, I don't, what do I do? I'm feeling this weight, this burden of, I need to, I need to take care of someone now. And I've got a responsibility and, 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 and all of these just different things. And I could have, I came very close to, being so focused on the emotion that I missed the miracle that happened. I could have missed the miracle that happened when, when three months before that, my stepdad and I had an incredible conversation about eternity. Made sure he was headed there. That was the miracle. So what we can do, what we got to do is not focus on the feelings instead of the faith. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we live by faith. Come on, say it. For we live by faith, not by sight. We focus on feelings instead of faith. Number, number two, the second thing that we tend to do that messes with our opportunity to receive miracles is we take matters into our own hands. We just have a tendency to take matters. I do this. We have a tendency to take matters into our own hands. We kind of get this attitude like, God's not doing anything about it, so I guess I better do something about it. And you can actually get... You can get way ahead of the plan and mess stuff up like crazy by taking things into your own hands. If God doesn't work the way we want or at the speed we want, we just, we just do it ourselves. You know where I see this all the time that's most painful and most frustrating as a pastor, especially in a congregation that's relatively young, is with single people. Because everybody thinks that they can't survive alone. It's like something that culture has put in us and 
So I see people rush relationships and get into relationships all the time that they have no business being in. Jesus isn't the center of it. It's about wanting to be with someone. And like we talked about last week, idolatry is anytime we take anything and put it in first place instead of God. And so can I just tell you, I'm just so tired of watching it. It's so frustrating. And I wish I could just like call down lightning on people and just end the misery for them. But I've, I've not fasted enough for that yet. I don't think that could happen. I'm talking about miracles. I'm just kidding. So we, we think if God's not doing something, then, then we need to step in and do it. Can I just tell you something right now? It's never that God's not doing anything. It might just be that he's not doing your thing. Because God's always doing something. He just might not be doing your thing. He's doing his thing. And it can't write this down somewhere. Like, this is good. I stole this. This isn't my line, but I love it. So write it down. It can't be our problem and God's problem at the same time. It's either your problem or it's his problem. And it's your choice whether you're going to carry it on your own or give it to him. It can't be your problem and his problem at the same time. It's one or the other. And when we're waiting for miracles and we're waiting for God to do the miraculous in our life, I'm encouraging you, church, to step out in faith and don't try to fix it or do it on your own. Make it God's problem. My life is much less stressful now that I've made more things God's problem, not my problem. Come on, that's good. I'm preaching better than you're yelling and amening right now. Can't be both, can't be both our problems. Isaiah 30 15 and 17 says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. And that word repentance in this scripture actually means like to to turn away from doing it your way and to turn to doing it God's way. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll flee on horses. Now let me pause for a second because here's why this, this is all very poetic in Isaiah right here. And anytime you see horses, especially in the book of Isaiah and, and with a lot of the prophets, they actually represent our own natural strength, our own way of doing things. They represent personal or natural abilities and strengths. So you said, no, we'll flee on horses. Therefore, you'll flee. You said, we'll ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you'll all flee away. And look at this. This is an important one. Tell you're left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. So this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's saying, look, you could have the answer to everything in me, but you keep trying to do it on your own. You keep running off and doing it in your own strength, and eventually you're going to end up like a flagstaff on a mountaintop. What he's actually saying is you're going to end up alone and isolated and away from God. That's what happens when we try to do things on our own instead of waiting and letting God work. We end up isolated. But look at verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who what? Wait for him. It's not that God's not doing anything. He just might not be doing your thing. And so just wait, wait, wait. The third thing we tend to do that will mess us up is we exaggerate the negative. We exaggerate the negative. How many of our prayers are us telling God how bad the problem is? 
as if he's not aware. God, it's really bad. No, you don't understand, God. It's really, really, I don't understand. No, God, it's bad. And we don't respond in faith. We respond in panic. (laughs) We freak out. It's bad, God. I used to, um, growing up, we used to watch this show. It was kind of one of the early, like, redneck humor kind of shows. It's probably too too old for some of you to even remember it. And, uh, but I remember watching it in our, our living room. There's a show called Hee Haw. Anybody ever watch Hee Haw? Oh, yeah. And uh, it's so old, I couldn't remember if it was Hee Haw or Yee Haw. I, I don't think it matters at all. But there was um, one of the, the sketches that, that would repeat week after week was these, this quartet that would sing. And so I went and found this on YouTube. Quality's not going to be great, but I just, like, I think a lot of our prayers sound kind of like, kind of like these guys. Go ahead, Todd. Six foot eight when I'm completely unfurled. And to find a mate, I've looked all over this world. Then a store downtown advertised everything for us tall guys. And they had everything except tall girls. the words there. <laughs> Gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Come on, man. Some of us, that's why I yelled at y'all about Facebook last week, because that's what you do. We come to church on Sunday and we play we claim to put God first, but the only thing that comes out of our mouth or our fingers the rest of the week is how horrible everything in our life is. Who wants to follow that God that you serve? Come on, man. We don't need to exaggerate the negative. We need to lift up Jesus. So many of us are spending too much time telling God how big our problems are, and what we need to do is start telling our problems how big our God is. Yet yeah, that would be a great place. I really tried to work it up right there emotionally, and you all left me hanging. You need to stop telling God how big your problem is. This is your next chance, by the way. And start telling your problem how big your God is. Thank you. Make sure we edit that in the audio so it sounds like the first take. Everybody got it. Second uh, Corinthians one twenty. For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding... Yes! And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Sometimes, sometimes it might not look like God is doing anything, but I'm telling you, man, the scripture says all his promises are yes. They're yes. Just trust him. Don't take it into your hands. 
So what do we do? How do we get ourselves positioned for God to work miracles in our lives? What are the steps? I just want to give you four. And it starts out in that, we look back at that story in John chapter 2. What's the first thing that happens? Mary looks at everybody and she says, Jesus, the wine's gone. Jesus is like, I don't really want to do it right now, mom. He's like, what's he say? Woman, (laughs) that's what he says, woman. (laughs) Read it, that's what he says. Woman, my time hasn't come yet. Mary completely ignores that. Looks at the servants at the party and says, do whatever he tells you. You want to set yourself up for a miracle? That's the first thing you got to do. Do what Jesus says to do. Just do what he says to do. We get things all mixed up sometimes because we do everything but what Jesus says to do. I talk to people all the time, and I'll, I'll say, you want life to turn out like this, right? Yes. Okay. Well, you're making this choice, this choice, this choice, and this choice, and the Bible says all of those are bad. Are you willing to change those choices to this set of choices that come from Scripture? Because if you do this set, you'll probably end up where you want to be. And the frustrating thing is how many times I hear people say, no, I want to do this set. But you said you want to end up here. Yes. Okay. What you're doing is going to take you there. Are you willing to change from what you're doing to the way God would want you to do it? No. Do you understand where stress comes from in my job, in my line of work? Because the Bible is really simple. It's really easy to follow along and do what Jesus says to do so many of us are waiting for God to work a miracle in our lives, but we're doing none of the stuff he wants us to do. And then we actually get frustrated and angry with God when it doesn't end up the way we wanted it to. So Mary knows what Jesus is going to do, and she says, do whatever he says. And here, here's what I think is interesting about this. I think Mary knew Jesus well enough to know that what he said next, the next thing to come out of his mouth, wasn't going to make sense to anybody in the room but Jesus. And here's the thing about God, man. He is famous for doing things that you and I don't understand, agree with, or even get. Because he's not interested in doing it your way, he's interested in doing it his way. Why? Because if he does it your way, you get the credit. You're not supposed to get the credit. The Christian life following Christ is about bringing glory to the Father. Elevating the Father, exalting the name of Jesus, drawing people into his king. And so if you get the credit, what's the point? So we've got to trust God, do what Jesus says to do. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, my thoughts are nothing. This is God talking. Now, just, this is God talking to you. Listen to what he says. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Stop trying to reason with God. It won't work because he doesn't think like you. If he tried to get us to think like him, our brains would explode. Don't do it. 
We've got to get to a place where we understand God is smarter than us, greater than us, and trust him. Do you guys remember the story of the blind man? There's several in the Bible. But there's, there's this one in particular that catches, catches my eye. Because he doesn't come find Jesus on his own. He has a friend that brings him to Jesus. And this friend apparently is familiar with the ministry of Jesus because if you follow along, Jesus had a habit of when he would healing people, he would, he, would, he would meet them and he would like lay a hand on them or he would touch them. And the Bible says immediately they would be healed and these, whatever their affliction was, whatever was wrong. Remember I said nothing's in the Bible by accident. All of this stuff happens on purpose. And so this, this guy brings his blind friend to Jesus and he's aware that every time Jesus touches somebody, they get healed. And so he thinks he knows the formula. Jesus touches people, they get healed. Jesus puts his hand on them, they get healed. That's the formula. That's how God works. He touches them, they get healed. So this guy thinks he knows the formula. And he brings his blind friend to Jesus. And what's he do? He tells Jesus what to do. Jesus, touch him. Jesus, touch my blind friend. Because that's what you do. You touch people and they get healed. I love what Jesus, because Jesus messes with him. And again, this is where I, I think there's probably more conversation going on than what gets recorded in Scripture. Because he brings his friend, Jesus, touch my friend, heal my friend. And Jesus is like, you want me to heal your friend? Yeah, I want you to touch him. You want me to touch him? Or do you want me to heal him? Well, that's what you do. You touch people and you heal them, so touch him. But do you want me to heal him? Yeah, heal my friend. Touch my friend and heal him. And so finally Jesus just goes, all right, I'm going to heal your friend. (laughs) Jesus makes a mud pie. And at this point, if I'm the friend, I'm like, oh, dang it. <laughs> and I can just picture Jesus standing there with a handful of mud made from spit. That's what the Bible says. He spits, makes mud. I'm imagining he had to spit several times to get enough mud. He's got a handful of mud. And I just picture Jesus. You want me to heal him? Really? Can you touch him? No, I'm going to heal him. <laughs> Sticks the spit mud pie in the dude's eyes. And then tells him, go wash yourself. He's healed. What was, why did Jesus use mud? I don't have any idea. The only thing I can think of is that Jesus just wanted to make a point. Don't come to me and tell me how to do it. I could touch him. That's an option. But I'm Jesus. And since you came to me and said, touch him, instead of just saying, hey, Jesus, could you heal my friend? And then waiting for me to do it my way, I'm going to prove a point. And I'm going to hawk some loogies, and I'm going to stick mud in your friend's face. How many times have we come to God, and instead of saying, God, I just need a miracle. I need you to work this out in my life. Please fix this. We come to God with all the steps laid out. 
all right, Jesus, first of all, uh, I'm going to need a six-figure job. Uh, then I'm going to need a very attractive mate. Um, and then after about three years, we're going to need our first baby. So are you getting all this, Jesus? Are you writing this down? What are we doing? I'm not saying we should never pray specific prayers. I'm just saying, man, God's not interested in doing it our way. He's interested in doing it his way. So do what Jesus says to do. Number two, focus on what God wants to do in you. Now, this isn't a fun one. Because <laughs> anytime we're waiting for a miracle, anytime we're waiting for something miraculous to happen, I guarantee you there's a lesson that God is wanting to teach us. In fact, some of you right now are sitting in life waiting for a miracle to happen, and the thing that's keeping it from happening is the, is the thing that God wants to teach you first. We want to focus on the problem, but God wants to focus on teaching you something and working through. He wants to work through your problem. Jesus never wastes a miracle. He never wastes an opportunity to teach us something. He'll delay the answer while he works on our character issues. John 2, 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now, have you ever thought about Jesus turns the water in these jars into wine? That's the miracle that happens. But have you ever thought about this? Like, I was reading this going, why didn't Jesus just like snap his fingers and make all the glasses be full of wine? Or like, why didn't he do it the way he did the loaves and fishes where like the containers that the wine was originally in just kept replenishing themselves and it never ran out. Why did Jesus choose to turn the water in the ceremonial cleaning dishes into wine? These big jars. I'm going to tell you why. It's because of the word ceremonial. Do you know what the ceremonial water jars were for? You had to, it was, it, you had to, when you came somewhere, there was actually someone assigned to watch you wash in the ceremonial jars to make sure you did it the right way. Those ceremonial jars represented dead, stinking, rotten religion. Where somebody made it about doing things the perfect way to be, to be right and clean to get, into the Samaria, to get into the ceremony. And you know what Jesus was all about? He was all about destroying religion. He said, I'll hang out with tax collectors, thieves, murderers, prostitutes. I'm cool with all of them if they'll just give their heart to me and love me. You don't have to fit in some kind of box. You don't have to make some sort of little checklist that you've got to fit inside of to have a relationship. I'll take anybody. And so what Jesus did is he said it. He made a story, an example right there in his first miracle by putting the joy back into the dead religion. There's always a reason for everything that Jesus does. He could have filled the empty bottles. He chose to turn the cleaning water into wine. And it could be that while you're waiting for a miracle in your life, God just wants to teach you something while you're waiting. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, So be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Come on, how many want our faith to be genuine? It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. We've got to focus on what God wants to do in us. Let me move quickly through the rest of these. Number three, believe the unbelievable. Some of us just need to do that again. Like just believe the unbelievable. God can do anything. He can do anything. Anything he wants. 
And I want to encourage you to be willing to believe the unbelievable. What's he do? He says to the servants at the ceremony, now dip some out. What? Water out of the ceremonial cleaning jars. Dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine, not knowing where to come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. You want to know the great thing about being a servant of God? Is you, other people won't know where the blessing comes from, but the servant always knows. The servant always knows. So trust God for big things. As the servant, you'll always be able to tell people where it came from. That's how he gets glory. Mark 10, 27, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Number four, expect the best. Expect the best. Listen, we're so conditioned to just kind of expect everything to fall apart. I grew up in the middle. I'm I'm convinced. Missouri is called the show me state. Do you know why? Because literally in that Midwestern culture, if you say to someone, I have $100, show me. I got a new job, show me. It is the most pessimistic culture on the face of the planet. We don't believe anything until you show it to us. That's why it's called the show. It, literally, that's why it was called the show me. And, and if you actually were to go spend some time in that part of the country, it's, it's even worse there. But our whole culture is that way. Show me. Prove it. No, 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 no. Jesus says, expect the best from me even before you see it. That's faith. John 2.10, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. So the bridegroom's basically saying, normally in a wedding feast, once everybody's drunk, (laughs) we bring out the cheap stuff. But Jesus this, turned this water into wine, and it wasn't just okay wine. It was like the best wine they had drank the whole party. Can I just tell you something? You may be sitting in the dull doldrums of life where you'd be happy if Jesus would just give you some cheap stuff. But I'm telling you, the season that you're in right now is the season where you should expect the best because that's all that God has ever had planned for you. It's the best. Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And I want you to close your eyes, Dan.